Hello, 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 and welcome to Center Ed Teaching, the podcast from the Center for the Professional Education of Teachers here at Teachers College. Our opinions are our own. I am here today. Well, I want to make sure, you know, just like, like put all the, the clarifiers out there at the beginning. I'm Roberta. Uh, Matt is not with us today. Uh, we miss him. We miss you, Matt. Um, you'll let us know how we do on our own. And I'm here with Brian. Hey, y'all. All right, and we're going to kick it off. We don't have a facilitator, so Brian and I are just going to banter, banter, banter all the way uh, all the way through. Yeah. Well, we have, a, we have a facilitator in absentia. I mean, Matt set us up with a nice little agenda sure and um, some notes and some talking points. And That's he right. is uh, steering our conversation toward a, a bit of international comparative education, um, thinking through uh, some of the uh, results of um, uh, the PISA exams um, and then perhaps what those uh, findings mean for us as educators here in the States. Um, so perhaps I'll give a little bit of background um, really quickly. Uh, PISA is, uh, uh, P-I-S-A is the Program for International... St- student Assessment. There it is, Student Assessment. Um, I wanted to go to like... Program st- with an E. Program, Two, yeah. Right, right? Yeah. Two M's is. and an E. Exactly. It's important. Um, and it is a... a, a a project of the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, um, which is a, um, a multinational organization of um, 37-ish uh, member states um, around the world. Um, and, but the PISA exam is given to like 90-ish, um, or we're in the 70s. Um, it's giving to a lot more countries um, around the world. But actually, interestingly, uh, as we were kind of um, kicking around the stats, uh, we noticed countries and economies, mm-hmm. um, which is something that we'll get into in a bit. But PISA um, measures uh, 15-year-old students' um, uh, achievement in three subject areas, uh, reading, maths, and science. I like I said the maths there. Well, like. when you are in a programmy, you study maths. <laughs> when you're in a programmy. Yeah. Um, so um, so every three years, um, there are a battery of PISA tests that are given out to 15 year olds around the world. Uh, 2018 was uh, uh, or is another testing year. So we'll be discussing results from 2015 because uh, we don't have the 2018 results right now. And we're not really going to get into the, the deep end of the results here so much as um, speak to um, what uh, what they might mean when they percolate through the uh, um, the news and through politics um, here in the states. I think that's just a really good. It's an important point to make that a lot of times we use data, and by we I mean like the educational community mm-hmm. or the media might look to data to try to understand complex situations and complex ecosystems. Um, and so they're gonna point to something like how different states did on an assessment, whether that's in the, in the United States or that's internationally. And we tend to assume that like, oh, everybody took the same test and everybody tested all of their students. And so this is, we're really looking at like objective information here. Right. And as a result of that, what we assume to be objective information, we can make claims and make assumptions and draw conclusions from that. And I think it's important to just acknowledge that like it's a little bit more complicated than yeah. that. Um, not all countries have the same educational system. They may be testing all 15-year-olds, but all those 15-year-olds might not be in the same grade as we might have them be in the United States. And they may not um, be assessing all of the students um, in the same way that other countries are. Um, right. th- so, so 
we want to take a look at it and I think that there's a lot of what there's a lot that we can learn from uh, performance from different countries and cultures uh, on the PISA but also we need to recognize that it, it's complex and we have to take some of that with a grain of salt yeah absolutely and then also um, there are just so many variables at work here um, when we talk about um, uh, comparing countries to each other um, but even it, it, it the PISA isn't meant to set up some sort of like comparative or um, competitive structure, um, but that is ultimately what it seems to default to is uh, a lot of hand-wringing over who's got the quote-unquote best education um, in the world. Um, another thing to mention, and um, those of you who are dedicated listeners know this from, from some conversations we've had about standardized testing, is this is a standardized test. Um, and to the extent that it measures something, um, there's always a big old grain of salt about um, does this tool actually measure the thing you think it measures? Or um, if it does measure the thing, that, the thing that it's meant to measure, is that what people's takeaway is? Um, when we say that Singapore are number one in maths, um, well, what we mean is Singapore students performed best on this particular maths exam. Um, that's our most sort of low inference way to describe what mm -hmm. happened. Um, uh, or Singapore students who took this test did better than the students who took this test in other countries. Um, but we don't necessarily, we can't from there go ahead and say Singapore schools are better at teaching math or mm -hmm. that Singapore kids are better at math. So um, all of this is uh, uh, all results from standardized tests and um, with always with these things, you know, as many and as big of grains of salt as you can find. Yeah, I think thinking through why some, like how the different structures that some schools are in some countries um, like affect, mm -hmm. like that, that's a question that I might have yeah. if I, if I didn't know anything, like, so what's the difference? Why, why, why isn't it fair to say that the United States came in the middle of the pack or that, you know, we're 20, what was it? 27th, I think that came in a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one of the biggest implications is that different school, different countries or economies, economies. <laughs> uh, right? Yes. Different countries or economies. Um, have a different system for how they're setting up their school. So, for example, in the United States, it is generally accepted that students are um, eligible to attend public school for free, K through uh, 12, or roughly 5 to 18, and students who can't finish by that time can stay in the education system through to their 21st birthday. Um, this speaks to our commitment to educating all students, to giving all students, regardless of their economic background, regardless of their social background, regardless of their academic performance, mm -hmm. um, and access to a free and uh, quality public education. Um, and that means that across the United States, schools that are selected or districts that are selected to uh, represent the U.S. in the PISA assessment are going to have mixed ability classrooms who are taking those assessments and they're going to represent multiple states and they're going to represent multiple types of schools including students who are English language learners, kids who have IEPs or special education, um, as well as our a wide variety of performances. 
Right. But in some other countries, not in all, but in some other countries, there's a, a great deal of tracking that goes forward in the, the way that their school system is designed. So that tests that students take in elementary and middle school most often um, lead them some to academic high schools and some to vocational high schools and some to other types of technical schools. Um, and as a result, many of their students and sometimes their um, lower performing academic students would never have the opportunity to take a PISA or be included in their data. And so I think that we have to be a little cautious when doing too much, um, too many, drawing too many conclusions from comparisons around like country to country um, when we recognize that there are many different structures at play. Right. Um, and then, of course, the in addition to like the differences in the uh, school structures of these countries, they're just big old differences when it comes to the countries themselves. Um, what? Exactly. <laughs> so, for example, we've been talking a little bit about Singapore, and um, the reason for that is that Singapore are routinely uh, near the top of the table um, in all the categories, and in 2015, Singapore ranked number one, uh, as I mentioned, in, in reading, maths, and uh, science. Um, so they're sort of like held up as a, a shining exemplar of how one ought to school. Um, um, but uh, as Roberta and I know from some, some travel and some work in Singapore, um, it's a really um, interesting place. And um, one thing that's very interesting about it is it's basically a city-state. Um, it is, a, it is a, a country the size of a city. Um, and when you're operating... That was like, oh, we're, 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 going, we're going to Singapore. We're in Singapore. You know, Singapore. Singapore, exactly. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> and when you, um, when you think about the, uh, just the scale of what uh, uh, um, education in the United States uh, means versus education in Singapore, um, you're already getting into some, some interesting sort of territory. Like, is it even possible to compare Singapore mm -hmm. and the United States? Or should we compare, say, Singapore and New York? Right. Um, and then if we do just compare Singapore and New York, then what does that mean for um, uh, the what how valuable the data on the United mm -hmm. States are in general? Yeah, um, I think building on that, one of the other implications is, you know, we want to draw, we want to use data like this and we want to be able to draw some conclusions. Right. And we want to mm -hmm. say, how well are we doing? Um, how well are our students performing? How competitive or collaborative yeah. might they be in the future uh, with other people from other countries? Um, we're also looking though at like what quality of education have they received yeah. with the assumption that the quality of education our students are receiving is going to turn up in high performance on this international exam. Mm -hmm. Well, the quality of education is often connected to the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of curriculum are students experiencing across our schools? Well, to your point, in a, in a country the size of a city, mm -hmm. um, the curriculum, they have a national curriculum. They're, they are using, I don't know that it's scripted day to day, um, but they're certainly using a national curriculum that's uh, set by the Ministry of Education uh, and that is uh, directly informed by the United Kingdom's curriculum. And they subscribe to many of those official um uh, United Kingdom exams mm -hmm. and take these sort of O-level, OA 
BC. I'm not from there, so I don't know. Maybe, Brian, you can help me out on this one. Yeah. But they take a series of these exams, and those are, um, are, are more international exams than what we have in the United States, which are really state-by-state state curriculum decisions, sometimes city-by-city city or district-by-district, district, yeah. um, as well as city-by-city, state-by-state types of assessments. We do not have, while we have a, a recommended national standards, um, many of them, many states have rejected the Common Core, but even with the Common Core, we never had a national exam, mm -hmm. um, certainly not one that all students or that the um, school districts felt accountable to. Um, and I think that that, that's, that that draws some sharp distinctions. We can't draw conclusions that say how the United States is doing as a whole in educating our students from uh, the standpoint of how we're performing on the PISA when we don't have consistency around curriculum or assessments or any sort of like national um, expectation that's driving education. Absolutely. And then, of course, um, the other thing to, to mention about Singapore is it's a, it's a very, very wealthy city-state. <laughs> Um, as well, um, and uh, no shots there. Um, you know, stay at it, Singapore. <laughs> but um, uh, the if we were to compare Singapore and New York, there would be one thing. If we were to compare Singapore and say Lagos, um, mm -hmm. it would be uh, something entirely, entirely different. Um, so, to the extent that um, a um, structure, an infrastructure of um, uh, public schools, mm -hmm. um, but then also uh, sort of general health and wellness that is available to people in Singapore isn't available yeah. to people all over the world. Um, that also puts them in a position to, to be set up for success. Yeah, I want to build on that too by saying that Singapore is also in a in a really a, a very interesting and unique position. Mm -hmm. We all are part of a global world and a global sure. economy, um, but countries as large as the United States, especially with the history that we have had and the privilege that we have had of being um, a powerful nation, uh, uh, an economically um, advanced nation, um, that that we have been able to set on the world stage much of the policy and diplomacy mm -hmm. internationally, um, for better or worse, right. right? No stroking of the, the U.S. ego there. But to say that Singapore, the size of a city as a country, is extremely dependent on um, its position in the world. It's extremely dependent on the very, very large nations that surround it. And it has to find ways to innovate and compete because it is so, so, so small. So one of the things that they recognize is that like we have to learn from the best people around the world yeah. in order to be the best. And if we're going to lead the world, then we have to, their, their focus is so clear um, in, in being a world leader because they're so small that they, they that's the, really the only way for them to um, to take a to take a stance and not sort of um, become batted around by by the other powerful nations in its in its uh, vicinity. And so I think like uh, total respect for the government there and for the you know friends and colleagues that we have who are working there mm -hmm. who are working so 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 hard to make sure that their education system is as great as it can be and continues to be a leader in the world. Um, because they are, but they recognize like, oh, we need to advance ourselves here because that's what we have to do to stand out. Whereas other countries might be taking um, more like uh, sitting back or sort of taking a look and going like, yeah, we're in a good spot. We're pretty powerful. We're all right now. Yeah. But the pressure is high, I think, is what I'm trying to say on them to perform. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, Singapore, um, like we said, have, have, have sort of held a place at the top for a little while now. 
Um, and uh, also near the top are some uh, is a country that we uh, have a little bit of a connection with as well, Finland. Yes. Um, or routinely um, come in near the top. Again, another smaller country with um, a national curriculum, um, uh, sort of a more uh, homogenous environment um, in general than the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, uh, the even within Europe, Finland stand out um, as sort of educational mm-hmm. uh, uh, achievers. Um, now, in, in this um, sort of instance, uh, from what I read about uh, Finland, people like to give the, the success for that to the sort of the where teaching stands and the mm. status of teaching as a profession. It's another, it's another conclusion that we like to draw from exactly. the PISA is if you have high scores, then you must have high like the best curriculum and the best quality teachers and if you don't have high scores you probably don't Don't have the right curriculum and don't have the best teachers these are i think dangerous conclusions but but many that are often drawn exactly and that's 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 it to say that um this uh uh, it's it's really easy to climb the ladder of inference um as we say (laughs) uh, in the teacher observation biz Um, um but uh the notion that we um, are tempted to compare nations to each other and there are so many different variables to to control for there. And then also to start to make some uh, recommendations or uh, make policy changes based on this um, is really sort of an interesting Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, every three years that the the PISA results come out, there's a a fair amount of handwriting that goes on in schooling circles. Um, It's not quite a nation at risk sort of Sputnik moment but there's this moment of like, we are worse at math than Tunisia, and then there's a big sort of, um, well, freak out, I'll call it, <laughs> um, it seems to me, in US educational policy. Brian, what do you think about the difference between the, um, some of these countries that have more of like a, a mono culture, mm-hmm. homo- more of a homogenous culture, as opposed to countries that have a lot of diversity, in, um, especially in the form of immigration, in terms of like language and culture? Well, one of the things that's um, uh, super fascinating about that is, like, you mentioned the diversity of language, language mm-hmm. being part of culture, uh, but um, the, the differences in culture, I think, are the, the more fascinating ones. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, uh, one of our podcasts, I don't know if it'll release before this one or after, we've been talking about um, uh, selective schools in mm-hmm. New York City. Um, and one of the things that's interesting to point out there is the, the, the top schools have larger uh, Asian American populations mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. And then folk are really quick to jump and you know go to the old model minority myth and say, look, you know, these are the- They can do it, why can't you? They can do it, why can't you? Yeah. Um, and there's a sort of um, so many unanswered or unanswerable perhaps questions in there. But um, one that you hear often is about culture. Is there mm-hmm. a culture of um, uh, sort of rule-following school behaviors mm-hmm. um, that are part of um, certain um, uh, cultural groups? Yeah. I d- well, am really slow to, to pick up that line of inquiry. Or I'm, I'm sure. interested in the line of inquiry. I'm not interested in making a claim or an argument yes. along those lines. But then um, there's a, a one of the things that, again going back to Singapore, which is a fascinating case, is like it's a 
interestingly like racially and ethnically diverse place Mm -hmm. but it's like socially engineered to form something of a national character yeah um whereas um say the united states or the uk or canada Mm -hmm. um of course all much bigger countries by population but um uh, the diversity of the people within those countries is sort of less smoothed over Mm -hmm. by moves made um, by the government Mm -hmm. um so i think there's a big uh um uh, a big ups and downs when it comes to not ups and downs but big swerves let's say yeah. uh, uh, when it comes to um, uh, how all of different people come together to mm-hmm. form this new unit that is say Canada or the United States yeah uh, when I was in Finland last summer uh, visiting with some scholars and uh, professors there one of the things that I learned about was the Finnish expression of Sisu Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a statement of sort of like a national identity that the people in the country really ascribe to. And Sisu, S-I-S-U, is the concept of um, sort of like what does it mean to be Finnish? And it, mm. it's about <laughs> stoicism, stoic determination, tenacity of purpose, grit, bravery, resilience, and hardiness. And it's they, they believe that Sisu is part of their national character. And part of the reason that you have to have Sisu is because it's really freaking cold there and dark for most of the year. And if you don't have those things, you die. Yeah. And I'm joking a little bit about it, but I think that what we cannot underestimate in any educational system um, around the world is that the culture and the environment um, have a major role to play. Mm-hmm. Whether you're, um, we're uh, in collaboration with uh, some schools in uh, Saudi Arabia right now, and one of the major things that they're considering at their school is around uh, the environment, mm-hmm. and and how does living in a desert economy and a desert ecology like impact education? How does living in the Great North, towards the very top of our globe, mm-hmm. impact your education? But also, how do those things impact your character as a, as a country? Um, because because I, I, I have to admit, I have to believe that they do, and so when we're seeing smaller spaces, smaller um, you know land masses, um, and fewer people having more central. Uh, themes within your country seems to me to be more realistic. That's what I think we would look at our more regional themes that we have in the United States. And most of those regional themes are connected around location. Um, You know, there's a Southern way of of being. There's a Southern characteristic that you get, you bring that all the time, y'all. But, you know, there's a, I, I used to be a Western girl. I think now most of my friends and family would would talk about me as being a, a brash East Coaster. Uh, I'll accept that. Um, you know, but but we have um, regions in the United States that I think in many ways, um, looking at the United States more regionally, mm-hmm. um, similar to how China does on the PISA, they yeah. identify regional regions uh, of their schools that are that are taking the test, and the rest of China doesn't really participate. Um, but those regions represent the country as a whole. Uh, and I think that we we probably have a little bit of that that here too. Yeah, we do. Um, I was looking at the results from the 2012 tests. Um, and one of the things that I noticed was um, for the first time, uh, some of the data were disaggregated by state. Hmm. Um, so for example, in the 2012 results, the US average um, uh, was a, a score of 498, which put us at 24th in reading worldwide. Hmm. 
Um, but the Massachusetts average was 527, which would have ranked them sixth hmm. internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Florida um, w- had an average score that would have ranked them 26th mm-hmm. internationally. So right there you have a, a, wa- a yawning gap, let's say, yeah. between Massachusetts and Florida when it comes to their results on the PISA. And then how does that get averaged out across the entirety of the yeah. United States? But then what accounts for that difference? Is it that, um, uh, I don't know how Massachusetts and, and Florida's populations uh, mm-hmm. compare. Um, you know, there's a, a, a huge uh, infrastructure of um, uh, tertiary education mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. As my neighbor growing up in Louisiana used to say, um, uh, education's an industry in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there are so many um, um, so many differences um, within the United States, um, uh, economic, uh, cultural, geographic, um, that it's sort of hard to sort of come up with this one reductive or seemingly reductive yeah. um, measure for what the United States is. We can talk about um, averages that are a little bit talking about averages might be a little bit more there but we don't have that national curriculum and even though the common core was a sort of a a, a set of aspirational aims still there's no curriculum there per se there are not prescribed texts um, or tasks just um, these aspirational aims right um now, one thing, though, that I, I, I wanted to kind of pivot to here was I started to play around um, with some PISA sample tests. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, and I found one that was really fascinating, given in 2015, and it was um, a, a test in uh, collaboration, basically. Um, they, uh, they called it, I want to get the language right here, um, but they, they had a, a test in um, collaborative problem solving. Nice. Um, and what it simulated was a chat room environment where I had two chat bots named uh, Zach and I think it was Allison speaking with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were having to do some group work together. Mm-hmm. And I had multiple choice options to indicate um, uh, how I thought, what I should say in the chat room in order to get the group working together um, most effectively hmm. and efficiently. Um, and that led me down a little piece of rabbit hole for a while, and I started to take a notice into uh, 2018 um, that PISA are um, moving toward looking at a global competence, hmm. um, which would be, as they describe it, the capacity to examine local, global, and intercultural issues, to understand and appreciate the perspectives and worldviews of others, to engage in open, appropriate, and effective interactions with people from different cultures, and to act for collective well-being and sustainable development. Yeah. Now, this got me thinking, Roberta, about some work that we do here. It did. It did. Tell it, me more, Brian. Well, as part of our work with the Global Learning Alliance, where we collaborate with universities and secondary schools in the United States, Singapore, Finland. What? Yep. Canada, Australia, China. Anybody else? Not New Zealand used to be le- used to be on yep. the list. Yep. Um, uh, we have some folks coming in from Sweden. Yep, from Denmark. Uh, from Denmark. That's right. Um, the idea is to um, have a conversation about um, articulating essentially a new set of aspirational aims in education, um, given uh, where technology has taken our our shrunk or flattened, depending on which metaphor you want to use. World. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's exciting to see the PISA take a stance on 21st century capacities mm-hmm. because one of the things that it does in its comparison of how different countries and cultures are um, are performing on their assessment is it sets uh, for for countries who are primarily looking at like where are we ranking. It does set some criteria and some um, aspirations around what 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 kinds of academic performances are we interested in in studying? What are we striving towards? And to say that we're striving towards science, uh, reading, and mathematics um, is one thing, but to look at other kinds of skills that are going to be necessary in the 21st century, I think, is really good. Um, looking at our, our world just is, is shrinking and shrinking. Mm-hmm. That you know, um, I can I will be on conference calls this week uh, where where we're we're visiting with you know, 9 a.m. New York time and 9 p.m. Singapore time and 4 p.m. in Finland and everybody gets on and we can literally see each other and have conversations as we're planning mm-hmm. our work for the Global Learning Alliance. Um, so our world is smaller and smaller and smaller than it's ever been. Um, I'll say it's smaller than it's ever been and it's bigger now than it will ever be again, yeah. right? And what I mean by that is it's going to, it's going to get easier and easier and easier for us to be collaborating with people around the world and um, it's going to become, I think, more and more important. It's not going to become less important right. um, than, than it is right now, especially with the, our global economy where um, trade and, and, and international organizations who have, you know, companies who have their equity distributed across countries, right? They're not really, there are companies that are international companies. They're, not, they're no longer belonging to one nation or another. So we have to confront that, and we are going to have to be doing it creatively, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to be doing it, dare I say, collaboratively. And so yeah. it's exciting to see the PISA take a stand on that and then offer people both um, models of what that performance looks like when it's done well, as well as models of like what are types of engaging tasks that, that we can use for reference as um, folks around the world who are interested in this work um, look to the PISA as a leader and, and really where education should be going across the, con- across the countries. Countries. Um, <laughs> one thing I heard you say just now is um, that it's going to be easier for us to collaborate. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, it, it got me thinking, like, is it easier for us to collaborate or is it just easier for us to um, speak to each other? Hmm. Um, and to, to try to like, tease out that difference a little yeah. bit is, like, what does it actually look like to collaborate with someone, especially to collaborate with someone from a, a different country to different yeah. culture and how difficult that is yeah um and thinking through as as uh, pisa start to articulate um this sort of set of uh of ideas about what is possible in this world with communication and transportation mm-hmm. technology then the um need or perhaps the primacy of uh, collaboration is seems to be rising Well, Um, I'll just say like that's exactly what we're looking at with the Global Learning Alliance. Uh, Last year, we did a study where students from Singapore collaborated with students in uh, New York State uh, on a shared research project, and and that was that research project and their collaboration and interaction was studied. And one of the things that they learned from that research was that the students had a hard time collaborating instantaneously Mm. right and that much of the work that the students had to do actually had nothing to do with their project (laughs) and nothing to do with the task that they were given but rather was just about like getting to know each other Um, and we took that um, information and really used that as a way to design not just the study this year that includes students from New York State uh, Finland 
and Singapore. They're doing a cross-cultural collaborative research project on wellness and well-being. Mm -hmm. So not only did we consider that there, but we considered that as an aha moment as we're building the GLA. As we're building the summit for this year, we considered and remind ourselves frequently, wait a minute, didn't we learn that it's very hard to collaborate with people from another country that you don't know? And so we're building into the design of the summit, we're building in places, icebreakers, and places for mm -hmm. people to collaborate and just spend time getting to know each other before they dive into the work. Because we believe that it is with this sort of like getting to know you experiences that it is, that's, that's the, the ground floor, so to speak, of collaboration, um, whether it's in academics or in business or in research. Mm -hmm. And both the Global Learning Alliance and PISA are starting to identify this, um, which we would previously have called soft skills or would have been part of the hidden curriculum, yeah. and bringing them forward and saying, no, these are things to teach and to assess That's because right. they are essential uh, skills or essential capacities going forward. And when we do that work with schools here in New York City or in New Jersey or in Connecticut, we're yeah. often talking about how does just changing, just adding one example of a 21st century skill like collaboration or like imagination mm -hmm. or creativity and I don't mean arts and crafts I mean creative thinking creative mm -hmm. problem solving like global perspectives and being able to see a problem from someone else's point of view how does using one just one of those attributes and adding it onto an existing assessment completely change the dynamic of what we're teaching and learning it's massive yeah. um, and and it can get overwhelming quickly which is why I like to say we're only in 2018 we have 82 more years yes to, to figure it, right. it out <laughs> so great. we can take our time yeah. and we can do it thoughtfully and we can engage partners from around the world when we only think about ourselves talk about ourselves think about listen to ourselves and perform for ourselves we have a very singular perspective on the world and and one of the things that i can't help but smile about is when you mention how massive it is um and and Check me if I'm if I'm incorrect about this, but the the study that you were describing, where students from New York State, Finland, mm -hmm. and Singapore are collaborating, it, it, when you described it to me, you said, "Oh, one kid from New York, one kid from Finland, one kid from Singapore, and they're working together." Blah blah. blah. I said, "That's just a jigsaw, isn't it?" Yes. Um, and so the thing <laughs> is, it. the thing is, it's not even that fancy. It, it really isn't. It's so so we're we're crossing time zones and the international dateline, and it's all right. done on Skype and Google Docs yeah. and everything. But teachers, at the end of the day, this project that, that's being run is a jigsaw. It's a jigsaw. It's just with a kid from each of these different countries right. um, collaborating rather than kids from, from different groups within your classroom. That's so even, right. even if we zoom way, way, way out and we take this global view, ultimately um, we're using some of the same like good old-fashioned pedagogical mm -hmm. structures that we would use in our classroom yeah. in order to, to, to get these students talking to each other and having good educative collaborative conversations yeah um, so yeah so there's a lot more to get into when mm -hmm. it comes to international education um, you know different nations structure their educational systems quite differently they spend different um, amounts of money they spend different amounts of money they even have different aims and objectives yes. um, but uh, to the extent that uh, the US is sort of uh, got is spread all over the world and our our students our people are going to mm -hmm. have to be able to go out into the world either physically or virtually, mm -hmm. and collaborate with people from around the world. Yeah. Um, as we at CPET continue to work with the Global Learning Alliance, it seems that we're kind of getting ourselves nicely aligned with where Direction P's are going as well, um, and thinking through um, uh, the results that we're getting back, 
less as a sort of um, competition and comparison yeah. um, and more in terms of, well, what can we learn about what's going on in Singapore and what can we learn That's about right. what's going on in Finland That's and right. Hong Kong and so many other places. Um, oh, yeah, some Hong Kong folk are involved in the Global Learning Alliance yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, figure out what can we do just to be better at this thing that we keep trying to do, uh, education. Yeah, I think my final thought is is that in education we need far more collaboration than we need competition. Mm -hmm. um, I would much rather see uh, fewer sort of like nation state comparisons right. uh, around performance on the PISA than I would like to see um, more like apples to apples mm -hmm. uh, looking at it and then also some identification or even self-reflection like why do why do different countries think that they've scored this way or that way right um, and then how does that how does that score sort of define or not define them not define or not define who they are yeah um, I think that I'm concerned anytime you see sort of like a, a nice big number and a percentage and like s simplifying something as complicated as student performance even in your own district much mm -hmm. less across across countries and across the world is so complicated so i think that I, i'd love to see like what we're doing with the gla more collaboration across nations more collective and collaborative problem solving mm -hmm. than than the sort of like we've got to be better so that we can we've got to improve so we can beat everyone else that i think is going to be less helpful to us in the long run exactly um and not for nothing pisa is run by the oecd organizing economic cooperation cooperation so we'll end on that positive multinational multilateral la, la, note la, 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 and, la, la, la. and just gonna sing you out we got uh, matt's not here we can do whatever we want roberta's gonna play me out but i want to <laughs> thank uh, everyone for stopping by this week matt curry back soon because we're obviously totally unstructured without you um we'll see y'all uh at another podcast another day bye now bye